Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Well, to come, and, uh, and you know how to do that and to leverage your relationships in that way. So, so, so I would ask you to, to target somebody and uh, begin praying for them and then invite them, invite them, invite them to come to church and let's fill God's house. Amen? Awesome. All right, well, we are starting a brand new series called How to Live Through a Bad Day. And uh, uh, this is a series that is uh, based on a book written by Jack Hayford. And it is seven statements that Jesus made while he was on the cross. And so we're going to walk through this over the next seven weeks. We're going to look at the seven statements that he made. And it's going to lead us up to Easter Sunday. So we're really going to dig in there and, and look at the light or look at this time period in Jesus' life and then celebrate his resurrection on Easter Sunday. All right? Now, on the cross, Jesus, when he died for us, he not only paid for our sins. He went through all that he went through, but he also, amazingly enough, in that time period, gave us some incredible life lessons. Because while we call that Friday that he died Good Friday, it wasn't a very good day for him. It's probably the worst day of his life as he walked this earth. It was a day unlike any other. And he made these these seven statements on the cross, and, and to see the seven statements, you have to look across all four Gospels in the Bible, which, by the way, the Gospels are their first four books in the New Testament. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you'll find the seven things that he said there in those, that, that if you look at them, they give you a framework for how to go through a bad day. And it's really important. In fact, I think everybody here has had a bad day. In fact, how many of you, by show of hands, would say that you're going through a bad day right now? Like, you've got a bad situation in your life. How many of you guys are sitting next to your bad day? No, don't, don't point. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Look, I just had somebody raise their hand back there and point. <laughs> don't do that. Don't point. That's all right. But seriously, though, we, we've all had bad days, and we, and we need to uh, understand a right way to approach those days. In fact, that's what our theme verse is all about. It's Hebrews 12, too. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is not just a good example. He is the example for us. It says, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now, I love the wording here, because when you understand what that means, it, it really, it just fills me with joy. It fills me with some, some, some energy, because Jesus is going to face the cross. He endured all of this because he had joy on the other side of all of it. There was joy that he was looking forward to, and that joy was you. Let, let me kind of break it down and explain it to you. The joy is the sa- that Jesus had is the same kind of joy that a pregnant mother has. You go through nine months of pregnancy, some discomfort, some very uncomfortable things, and some very not very pretty things as you, as you get towards the day that you are going to give birth to the child. And then there's the travailing in the, of the birth that is not pleasant at all. It's an, un- an experience unlike any other but on the other side of all of this discomfort is the child. It's the joy of a child. And there are many mothers who have faced all this pain and had, children, had a child that go back to do it again. Why? 
because of the joy that's on the other side of it. And for Jesus, there was joy on the other side of that pain, and the joy for him was you. It was what he would accomplish in your life. He had you on his mind. In fact, there's an old song that we used to sing that while he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And I just think that's beautiful. Verse continues on, says, so he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I want to take a look at the same verse real quick in the message paraphrase. It's not a direct translation. It's a paraphrasing. It's kind of saying it in everyday English. It says this, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. And this is why I want to show you this, this paraphrasing. It says, study how he did it. I think it's important that as you and I face our bad days, that we look at how Jesus faced his worst, that we study how he did it. It says, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, the cross, shame, or whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor right alongside of God. And so Jesus, here in his worst day, he's having dinner with his disciples, which we just just talked through as we, we went through communion here this morning. He's having dinner with them. He goes off to the Garden of Gethsemane afterwards to pray because he knows what he's getting ready to face. And then Judas shows up with with the temple guards and they take Jesus captive and they take him to a nighttime trial. Now this nighttime trial was illegal both in Roman rule and in Jewish law. Both of them, it was illegal to do this and yet they were doing it. Jesus not only does that, but he goes before two different kings He's tortured, and at 9 a.m. the next day, Good Friday, he's on the cross. Before he gets there, he's whipped and beaten, crown of thorns placed on his head, and then they nail him to the cross. And as they lift that cross up and drop his cross into the hole that was dug for him, Jesus says this. And he doesn't wait until later. It's the first thing that happened, and he says this. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. That's powerful. In every bad day that you face, it needs to be first for you too. That you face it with a, Father, I forgive them. That I choose to forgive them. And so here's the lesson that we can learn from the very first statement Jesus made is forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. Forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. Because you know there's some people in your life, you just think their spiritual gifting is to ruin your life. You all know who this person is, and if they're in here, don't point. But you know who they are? That they, they went through growth track, and at step two of the growth track, they took the personality profile, the spiritual gifts assessment, and that gift was to ruin Aaron's life, right? You know those people. Because we all have people in our lives that we don't like or that they don't like us. But we're supposed to forgive those people even if we don't like them. You don't have to like somebody to forgive them. You need to love them. That's, what, that's, what, that's where that comes from. See, this whole forgiveness thing was so important that Jesus included it in his prayer that he taught his disciples. They came to him and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus, Jesus gave them a framework for prayer, and in it, he said, and forgive us our sins as we forgive others who sin against us. It's called the Lord's Prayer. You've probably heard of it. It's a prayer you can pray every day. In fact, it's, it's a part of prayer that Jesus intended for us to pray, is to seek forgiveness and give forgiveness. 
It's a, pro- a daily process that you and I need to be a part of, especially on our bad days. Because let me tell you this, if you don't practice this on your good days, you will not do it on your bad days. You, you, you gotta practice it. It's almost like a muscle that you build up, a reflex where you have decided to forgive those who will offend you. So the first step to living through a bad day is to forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. And Jesus said we need to practice this, grow strong in this, because what he said in Matthew 24, 10, many will be offended. Many people are gonna be offended. They'll betray each other and they're gonna hate one another. And then he said in Luke, it's impossible that no offenses should come. So basically what that means is even if you tried to live your, your life in such a way that you insulate yourself from people being able to offend you, you're not gonna be able to do it. Offenses are going to come. You're like, my God, pastor, be more positive. I am positive. Offenses are gonna come. And there's nothing that you can do about it. People are going to sin against you. They're going to offend you. That's going to happen. The sad part about offense is, is that you choose to hold on to it or not. And if you choose to hold on to it, it doesn't hurt the person who hurts you. It only hurts you. You've heard me say this before. I've heard lots of people say it, but, but unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That doesn't make any sense. Offense is a toxin to you and to everyone around you. In fact, Proverbs 18 says this about somebody who's offended. An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city, like a city who's got big walls. Because that's what happens when we get offended, when we choose to hold on to offense and not forgive people. We put up walls. We put up barriers. The, voice, the, the verse continues on and says, and disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel that you just can't get through. People that are offended have their walls up and they keep people out. And if they're anything like me, when I was offended many, many years ago, I was offended by somebody in church. I said, well, God, I know you're all about your people. And because I know you're all about your people and I don't want them in my life, I don't want you in my life. And so I walked away from a relationship with God. And that's what many of us do. Because we put up walls, we keep people out, we oftentimes keep God out. Because here's the thing, what God wants to do in you and through you is almost always involving other people. (laughs) And so you limit what God can do in your life because you choose to hold on to offense. You react by guarding your heart. There's an extreme situation like this or an extreme case like this that we see in history. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys would actually admit to following uh, British royalty and, and loving all the weddings and the baby births and all those things and like staying home from work to watch all that kind of stuff play out. Anybody want to confess that that's them? Hey, we've got one. Awesome. You're brave. I like you. But, but, History and, and all that kind of stuff just fascinates me. I love, I love watching documentaries about this kind of stuff and shows that, that detail what was really going on behind the scenes. And one of the most, most incredible demonstrations of holding a grudge and being offended happened in 1649. There was a man named Oliver Cromwell who was part of a party that was against the monarchy. They believed that they were, they were not leading uh, the people well and not doing right by them. And so this party rose up and overthrew the monarchy. And as a result, uh, Charles I, King Charles I went on trial. 
and they found him guilty. And 59 people signed the document that had King Charles I executed. This party stayed in power for 11 years, and they were overthrown by another party who reestablished the monarchy. And the person that they put in charge and instituted as the king was, surprise, surprise, King Charles I's son, King Charles II. And the first thing he did was pull up the records and say, I want to find all 59 of those people who signed that document. Well, to his dismay, 15 of them had already passed away, and that wasn't good enough for him. He said, exhume the bodies. So the bodies were dug up. He put them in court, sat them in a chair, and put them on trial for what they did to his dad. And when, when the judge asked him, what do you have to say for yourself? They said nothing. They were found guilty. And along with the other people that were still alive, they hung them. They're already dead bodies. And they hung them next to the people that were, that were alive. And, and hung, I mean, they weren't alive anymore after they hung them. But you know what I'm saying? Like, they put them up there with them. Talk about a grudge. Talk about an ax to grind. This is a radical example and picture of what can happen if we don't deal with offense properly. And if Jesus taught us anything about facing our bad days, it's that in advance, we need to choose to forgive people. Because if we don't, the book of Hebrews says that unforgiveness turns into bitterness, that turns into a toxin in our lives that not only affects us, but it affects everyone around us. Now, I can already hear some of you pushing back a little bit. You're like, well, here's the deal. With Jesus, like, I mean, he didn't deal with the people that I deal with today. He doesn't know my Uncle Harry or my sister Sue or whatever the situation may be. He, he doesn't know. He hasn't dealt with these kind of people. Oh, yes, he has. In fact, on Jesus' worst day, he experienced, I would dare say, more than any of you have ever experienced, more bad things than you have ever experienced in a 12-hour period. Because there were five things that happened to Jesus that we face all the time that he had happen all within 12 hours. The first thing is betrayal. Being betrayed stinks, and yet Jesus was betrayed. That's how the whole process started. One of his 12, Judas, sold him out, brought the guards to where he was, said, I'm going to kiss the guy who you need to take, because they didn't know who Jesus was. The guards didn't. So he walks up to Jesus and betrays him with a kiss. His friend, Judas. You never understand truly what betrayal is until you've deeply loved someone, because that's where betrayal comes from, a relationship with someone that you love. And then Jesus experienced being falsely accused. There were three nighttime trials where people were paid to stand up and accuse him of things that he never did, things that he never said. They accused him in every way, lying about him. Jesus also experienced rejection, rejection, None of his 12 disciples came to stand for him when he was being accused because any one of them could have stood up and refuted the lies that were being said about him. But instead, when he was taken in the garden, they scattered. One of them followed close behind and denied him three times. Peter, one of his closest friends. But none of the other disciples showed up to support him. They rejected him. And then abuse. 
Of course, you know, Jesus was physically abused. He was punched. He was whipped with a cat of nine tails, which had glass and lead tips on it, that when they swung, those nine tails would hit. They would hit you, and then they would pull, ripping flesh from your body. Not just skin, but muscle as well. And they beat him. They whipped him. They put a crown of thorns on his head, punched him, ripped his beard from his face. Isaiah prophesied about him that, that the, the Christ would be beyond recognition, that he would be so bruised and so swollen that his mother would not recognize him. This is what Jesus, how Jesus looked. And then he was forced to physically carry his own cross from the center of town, being exhausted. He was abused. And then finally, he faced humiliation. He was publicly humiliated. Not only was he lied about and, and accused, but he also faced the humiliation of walking from the center of town. The reason they made you do that was so everybody in the city could come up and line the streets, throw things at you, spit on you, and shame you as you went to your death. It was the final, final piece to break someone down. And then when they took you to the cross, although Jesus is not often depicted this way in pictures or in, or in anywhere else, but theologians and historical uh, or historians say that, that Jesus would have been crucified naked because they wanted to humiliate you totally. And so Jesus suffers this humiliation. And he went through all of it. And I know that you've all experienced any and fully all of these, but, but not within a 12-hour period. And Jesus went through all of that not just to do it, not just, just to pay for our sins, but the Bible says that he did this. Hebrews 2, 17 says, that's why he had to enter every detail of human life. He entered into every detail of our lives, experiencing everything that we would experience. Why? Then when he came before God as high priest to get rid of people's sins, he would have already experienced it all for himself. In other words, he would know how you felt going through it. He would understand you. He says all the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. And that's what the Bible says. Jesus is in heaven with God, but his role right now is to pray for you while he's there. Because he knows what you've experienced here on this earth. He knows the pain that you're going through. And he's like, Father, they're hurting. That, I've been through that. They need some grace. He's praying for you right now. Nothing, there's nothing that you could bring to him in prayer that he hasn't experienced already and understood. All the hurt and the pain, whatever need you have, he understands it. So what do we do? Well, there's a challenge here because there's nothing inside each and every single one of us that wants to forgive. <laughs> we weren't born with this proclivity and desire to do it, right? We don't naturally want to just forgive people. All we want is revenge, and when somebody, when we're told to forgive, because I'm going to tell you this, I don't know if you guys count how many times I talk about certain subjects, but as the Lord has led, I've talked about this very subject three times since December. Three times. And I think some of you are still holding on to your offenses, refusing to participate in God's best for your life because you've misunderstood what forgiveness is. In fact, check out this verse. It says this. Since Christ suffered while he was in his body, strengthen yourselves with the same way of thinking Christ had. So there's some thinking that we need to get on board with regarding, regarding forgiveness. 
And I, I believe about forgiveness that it takes an act of your mind before it becomes the habit of your heart. And that's the, ultimately the problem is that your mind is refusing to wrap itself around what forgiveness is because you've been told forgiveness is a few things that it actually isn't. So let me clarify that with a few things that forgiveness is not. It's not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. No one expects you to act like it's okay or that it didn't hurt or it's not a big deal. It's not okay. It did hurt and it is a big deal. It, it, it is. Nobody's asking you to minimize it. It's also not reconciliation. That's not what forgiveness is. It's not about making it right. In fact, reconciliation is a two-person game. You have to have two people at the table with a desire to reconcile before that can even happen. I would love for that to happen in each of your relationships, but that's not always feasible because you can't always get the other person to the table. And if you're waiting until the moment that they get to the table to actually forgive them, then you are making yourself hostage to the person that hurt you in the first place. Don't wait on them to come to the table for reconciliation. Get free now and decide that you're going to forgive before you ever get to the table of reconciliation. Forgiveness is a one-player game. You decide to forgive no matter what they do. The next thing that forgiveness is not, it's not about doing what's fair. If you were to approach forgiveness, some of you would, would think that it's not fair that they be forgiven. Can I ask a question? Do you really want to hang out on what's fair? Because if we're dealing with what's fair, you and I should be paying for our own sins. Because it's not very fair that Jesus died on the cross for us, is it? It's not very fair that he gave his life for us. What's fair is that we pay the penalty of our own sins, which means death in every area of our life, as the Bible talks about, because the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we earn for our sins is death here on this earth and eternal separation from God. That's the ultimate death that it speaks of. So should we be paying for our sins? I don't want what's fair. I want Jesus to pay for all my sins, right? And I know that's where you're at too. We don't want to hang out on that. C.S. Lewis says this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. See, forgiving, forgiveness is not about giving them what they deserve. It's about giving them what they need. And God most certainly has given you what you need, not what you deserve. Another last thing about forgiveness is it's not impossible to do. There are some of you in this room, you've, you've believed a lie about forgiveness, you have come to believe that it's impossible to do. Believe that there's no way you could do it. It's too hard. I can't do it. No. Actually, yes, you can. It is possible for you to forgive. The reason I know that is because of Philippians 4.13. The beginning of it says, I can do everything. Say that with me. I can do everything. All right, I'm in everybody now. Let's try it all at once here. All right, here we go. One, two, three. I can do everything. That's right, you can. Now, a lot of you hang out on that first part, and you're like, I can do everything. Well, no, you can't, not by yourself. And yet, you, a lot of you try to do it on your own. You, you've tried to do a lot of these biblical principles on your own, and you've left out the, the last part of this verse. It says, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. That means that you can do everything when God adds his power to it. You can do everything through his strength, not on your own. So here's where the strength comes from. 
in you making a decision that you're going to forgive no matter what, and that you're going to ultimately trust God with this situation, that I'm going to forgive, and I'm going to let God handle it from here on out. And that kind of trust comes from getting closer to him. And as you get closer to him, he'll transform your heart. He does that through challenging your thinking, which is what I'm doing today. I'm going to challenge your thinking. Go, man, I've been doing this a different way, and I need to get on board for God's way. And if you'll do that, you'll ask him to give you the power and strength to do it. He does. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can. You can forgive. And so there's three things that I would love to give you today. I've only got time to give you two. But I believe that this will challenge you and help you take the next step to to say, here's what forgiveness looks like. Give you a new way to be, and, and we'll pray that God gives you the strength to do it. And, and these things that I'm going to share with you, you're not going to like, and you're never going to buy into it unless you actually do it. <laughs> you, you can't experience the power of it unless you actually do it. So, so I'm, I'm going to tell you, we, we start with forgiveness. The way that we walk through this is, step one is, you pray for them. You say, oh, I pray for them, all right. <laughs> I've been in the Psalms. I've read some of the prayers that David prayed. He said, God, break the teeth of the wicked, and that's the prayer I pray for him. I'll pray for him, all right? No, that's, that's not what he's asking. That's not the prayer that God is leading us to. Jesus said this. He said, you've heard it said, that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He said, but I tell you, love your enemies. Anybody got any enemies out there? Anybody you'd identify as an enemy? Yeah, come on. I know there's more of you just not playing along. That's fine. He says, pray, or excuse me, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them. The people that are against you, pray for those people. He says, not only forgive and keep on forgiving, because you know, by the way, the the process of forgiveness is you're going to forgive them, and then you're going to remember what they did, because you're going to see them, and then it's going to make you mad again, and then you're going to pick up that offense and hold it, and then you're going to have to remember, oh no, I I forgave them. I got to put that down. You're going to have to choose forgiveness over and over again. And as you do that, it gets easier and easier. And you remember, I'm not going to pick that up again. But once you've done that, then you, then you pray for them. And you can start that on day one. You can start praying for them right now. You say, what do I pray for them? Well, pray that they come to know God. That's a powerful prayer. Maybe they already do. Then you start praying for their heart. God, I pray that you would lead us towards reconciliation. I pray that you would reveal this area in their life. I pray that you would show them how they hurt me. You pray, if it's somebody that doesn't know God or or somebody that's still living in a way that is offensive to you, like they're continuing to hurt you, pray blessings on them. Now, you're going to do that through gritted teeth the first couple times. God, I pray that you bless them. Just bless them. God. (laughs) Hmm. Bless their marriage and bless their kids and bless their, bless them. You're going to mean something else while you're saying that. Come on, everybody. Can we be real in here right now? Like, seriously. I know you because you're me. Right? That's how you're going to pray for them. But, but understand that as you're praying for them, here's the thing. You can't be angry at somebody that you're praying for. And here's the truth. That person who hurts you, one of the greatest things you can pray for is that God heal their heart. Do you know why? Because hurt people hurt people. They're hurt some way that you can't even understand or see or identify, but God can. You begin to pray, hey, God, I pray that you would heal whatever's hurt in them. 
I pray that you would heal their marriage. I pray that you would heal their relationship. I pray that you would heal their finances. I pray, pray healing for them. If you can't put a target on it, just continue to pray. Pray blessings for them. Pray, pray the greatest prayer, of course, praying that they, that they come to know God. And here's the thing. You know what? They may never, ever, ever respond to that prayer. Prayer. They may never, ever change. Their life may never change, but yours will. Yours will change because it's impossible to hate someone when you're praying for them. You know, I get invited into, into a, in a, in a couple's, they call it couple's counseling, but I'm not a counselor, so really, I'll just kind of sit and listen for a little bit. And one of the things that I'll put my finger on and, is, and ask is, how are you praying for them? Well, you know, I'm not really sure what the words are, and I can't really say it like you do, and I, you know, uh, you, you know what the words are. If you were to, I know you're not praying for them, but if you were to pray for them, how would you pray for them? Well, I guess I'd pray this. Great. We're going to go ahead and pray for them right now. All right, Pastor, go ahead. No, I, no, I want to hear you pray for them. Now, they're freaking out for a couple reasons, because they may have never prayed out loud in front of somebody else before, but now they're, now they're being put on the spot and asked to pray for somebody that they're mad at. It's impossible to stay mad at somebody that you're praying for. And you watch what happens as you begin to pray for somebody as God softens your heart. The other person may never change. People come to me and they come to God because they want to treat him like a vending machine and change the other person. God wants to do a work in you in the middle of that. Pray for those that offend you. Prayer changes everything. Most importantly, it changes you. You're never going to know unless you try it. So you can tell me all day long that it doesn't work, and then I'm going to ask you, did you try it? Have you been doing it? <laughs> Second thing, here we go. You won't like this one, but it'll change you if you do it. Here it is. Do good to them. Do good to them. Be a blessing to them in some way. Find a need that's in their life and meet it. See our hurt and heal it. That's how we talk about it here. Somebody that, that is your enemy, somebody that, that is in opposition to you, somebody that is actively offending you. Find a way to bless them. Pray for them, but then figure out how to do good for them. Romans 12 says this, don't repay anybody evil for evil. In other words, they're doing wrong to you, and then you're just going to get revenge and repay them the same way they're doing it to you. It says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody, because everybody's watching, okay? If it, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You say, well, that's not fair. I want revenge. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> this is where you're at. You're like, I want revenge. And your whole life has been pointed towards revenge. But this is not what Jesus would have for you. This is not God's way. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so as we pray for them, we begin to look for ways to be a blessing to them. Here's what happens if you do that. Instead of revenge, there's a different way to go. It says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. Go buy groceries for them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Now, some of you like that. You're like, burn, baby, burn. I'm going to do this, right? But that's not literally what it means. See, we, we kind of miss the understanding of this because it doesn't really play out in our context very well. We don't have burning coals in our homes, but in Jesus' day, they did. Burning coal was how it would, they'd have a fire in their house, and sometimes those fires went out. 
And the way to restoke that, because matches were not a thing, was to borrow a coal from someone else's house so that you could relight your flame. In other words, if you want to light a flame in someone's life, give them what they need. Jesus, like, you want to give them burning coals, give them what they need. Don't repay evil for evil. Be a blessing to them. Give them what they need. Find something. I told you this wasn't going to be easy. I told you you weren't going to like it. And it doesn't always change the heart of the person that you're working with, but it will change yours. The heart of the person that you're working on forgiving. Romans 12 finishes out this way. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The way you, inc- you counteract the hurts that you experience ultimately is by doing good for them. We can forgive them. That's good. That's freeing. Pray for them. Pray God blesses them. And then do good to them. That's how we overcome that. Jesus, Jesus said this, freely you have received and so freely you give. As we approach forgiving someone, this must be our heart. We have to be in line with this. We've freely received forgiveness. There's nothing we can earn for to do to get it. No way we can earn it. He gives it to us freely. So freely we must give. Freely we forgive. I'm just like you. You know, I've got a list of people that I'm working on forgiving. And I know you've got a list of people you need to forgive too. And we need to be the kind of people who forgive. Why? Well, because the forgiven forgive. That's the kind of people that we need to be. People that because we are forgiven, we can forgive. Because you know what? You're never going to have to forgive someone more than God has forgiven you. That's just the truth. And so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to do that because God's at work in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. I know at this point in time as I pray, I usually, I usually talk to the church and then invite those that are doing an invitation. But I'm going to do the invitation first. And if you'll just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want, because I want those that are invited today to join, that are going to choose to join us to, to fully experience forgiveness. Because the thing is, is you can't fully give forgiveness until you fully experienced it. And so here's the invitation. There are those of you in this room that are far from God. And that's either because you've never had a relationship with him before, or maybe you did at one point in time and you walked far away from him. Maybe you've continued to come to church, but your, your thoughts and your attitudes have been far from him. And so in this moment, I just want to tell you, God's not mad at you. He's not disappointed with you. He's ready to welcome you home. He's ready to give you a redo. You can start over today. And that's the invitation. We have forgiveness through what Jesus has done for us. And all you have to do is simply receive it. Confess that you've sinned and ask God for forgiveness. So that's what I'm going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to be included on that prayer, I'd love to include you. But no, I will not make you stand up or come to the front of the room. But I would love to know that you're going to join us in that prayer. So if that's you right now, would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me. I need a relationship with Jesus today. I'm ready to take that step and say yes, or I'm ready to come back. Would you just slip your hand up now? Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. 
Now listen, church, we're going to pray together. Everybody praying out loud. I want to hear your voices. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I give you my life. Now you give me yours. Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Now, for those of you that are taking that step today, you're forgiven completely. That's what the Bible says. There's no need to make up for the past or your mistakes or your sins. Jesus paid the price for it. And so now you get to join us here in this moment because, church, I'm going to tell you, and let me just speak to your hearts. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a second. Let me speak to your heart. This will be the fourth time I've talked about this subject since December. And I think the reason God's had me continue to hammer at this particular message is because there's some of you in this room that are refusing to forgive. And God's not mad at you. He sent me to appeal to your heart that there is something better. God's best for you is that you would choose to forgive so that you could experience his forgiveness as well. And I know that that's, that's a point of pain for a lot of you in this room. And I'm sure the stories are terrible about what you've experienced. And I'm not diminishing any of those or to taking that away from you at all. I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you. Because I love you, I'm asking you to make a choice to forgive. To forgive those who hurt you and to trust that God is just and that he will handle vengeance because it's his. I mean, after all, he's the only one who can handle it. He's the only one with, with, with a clear head and a right picture of the situation to handle it. And so I'm inviting you today to join me in the prayer of asking God to help you forgive so that you can begin a process of saying, God, I forgive them, that you can pray blessings on them and that you can do good for them. So Lord, I pray right now that you would help us as a church, each and every one of us, that you would give us the power and the strength to forgive those who have hurt us, to forgive those who have offended us. Lord, those that have, have betrayed us, those that have accused us, that have rejected us, abused us, humiliated us, God, that we would be able to forgive them. We know it hurt. We, we're not denying any of that, God. We're, we're just saying, help us forgive them. Help us to know how to pray for them and show us how to be a blessing to them, Lord. Show us how to do good for them. Now, Lord, I pray for every broken heart that is represented in this room. I pray that you would heal it now. I pray that you would touch every, every scar and every wound and heal it in Jesus' name. And as they give it over to you, I pray that you would help them to trust you with what happens next on that journey, that you will handle it on their behalf. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Simple Church, service two is over, and I get to share this with you. We've had three people say yes to Jesus today. Uh, three people. And, and can I just tell you, they're not clapping for me, by the way, if you're new here with us, or maybe you said, yeah, they're not clapping for me, they're clapping for you. We're proud of you for taking that step, and we want to invite you to be part of our family. 
be, be part of what we're doing here. The easiest way to figure out how to do that is what we call growth track. Growth track happens during our first service. That's the 9 a.m. service in the conference room down the hall. We would love for you to be, be part of that. Make a commitment. You said yes to Jesus today. I know 9 a.m. is early on a Sunday morning, but you know what? It's only four weeks. Make a plan. Make a commitment. Put it on your calendar. Hey, I'm going to bed early on a Saturday night so I can get up and go to service at 9 a.m., right? I know, I know not everybody's wired for that. But, but make a commitment. Take a step doing, towards doing something different so that God can do something different in you. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let me, uh, let me do this, uh, share as we, as we close out this service. We don't pass buckets here at Simple Church. Many of you have come prepared to give your tithes and your offerings, and we thank you so much for that. If you're here today and you'd like to give, the way to do that is there's a black box in the back of the room. You can drop it in there and use the envelopes in the back of the seats if you've got cash or want to do something like that. Uh, or, or uh, designated towards uh, mission trips, because I know today is the last day for our mission trippers to turn in their initial amounts that are due. And uh, so if you, make, if you do that, please mark it clearly that that's what it's for, all right? Take your time, do it right. It's important, and you can drop it in the give box in the back. You can also use our app or give online or text to give, 84321. You can text any dollar amount you want to there. But I want to thank you for your generosity and your faithfulness. I always love to share stories like this with you because because of your generosity, we're able to do really cool things. Not only is our church growing here, we're making a difference in this community, but beyond that, we're reaching all over, all over the, the world with partnerships. And one of the partnerships is through a church that we planted. We planted uh, Harmony Church over by Eastland Mall, and they're making a great difference there in that community. And I was talking with the pastor of that church, Claudio, this week, and he was, he was talk, saying that in order to be able to increase some of the impact that they had, they needed to get a new, a new soundboard. They have a, an analog board, and they needed a digital one. For you guys that know what that, all that is, just know that that costs money to get that. They needed $2,500 and had raised uh, $1,500. And uh, because of your generosity, you know we give away 10% of everything that we, that we receive here. And one of those percentages is allocated in an account we call For When. Means that money just sits there until we encounter an opportunity to be a blessing for somebody, which I love. And so this past week, I was able to write them a check. And this is not on me again. This is because of you. We were able to write them a check for $1,000 so that they were able to go and get that sound booth and, uh, or that soundboard. And so again, I just want to thank you for your generosity. You're really making a difference, not just here, but, but in so many different places. And so thank you for being so generous. Let me pray for you and we'll dismiss. Lord, thank you so much for what you're, you're doing here and how you're challenging us with these seven statements you made on the cross. And today, I know this wasn't an easy one, and, uh, but, but Lord, I know that there's so much blessing. There's so much on the other side of being obedient in this way. Help us to do it this week, Lord. Help us, help us to forgive and to begin that painful process. God, I know that as soon as we do, walls begin to come down. We're open to relationships. We're open to what you want to do in our lives then. And so... Help us do that this week and experience all you have for us. Lord, bless the offering as we receive it. Help us reach more people that are far from you with every dollar. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Listen, guys, we'll see you next.